Please stand as you are able for the reading of today's scripture, which comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as the mortals migrated from the east, they came upon a plain in the land of Shinar, and they settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had bricks for stone and bethumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we shall be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which mortal had built. And the Lord said, Look, there are one people, and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language there so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad, abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Dominic, for reading our lesson. Um, many of you know Dominic as a past staff person here and one of our professors at Martin College, and you recognize him by that uh, Pulaski accent of his. Uh, <laughs> It's always good to be, with, uh, to be with you, Dominic, and we appreciate so much your ministry with our college students and, and your presence with us today. Well, I don't know about you, but um, for me, rainy days and Sundays always get me up, actually. Uh, it, it is so good to be in God's house with you on this rainy day to welcome back our Honduras medical missionaries who returned on Friday, and also later in the service we'll be commissioning our short-term missionaries to Mexico. And so we look forward to that and are grateful 
to those who have responded to this specific call. If you are visiting with us today, if you're a guest today, you've caught us right in the midpoint of this series on Genesis that we're referring to as the human purpose. And this morning, we come to the final saga of the first section, the primeval section of Genesis. It is divided into two sections, chapters 1 through 11, the primeval origins or history, and chapters 12 through 50, the ethnic origins that will begin those five messages next week. But we come to the final section of the primeval part. After the flood that Toy preached so well last week about, and Shelby Slow as well, after the flood, God renewed God's covenant with all of humankind. And it's interesting that God spoke the same charge, the same command after the flood in Genesis 9 that he did in the beginning in chapter 1, verse 28. He said, be fruitful and multiply and scatter across the face of the earth. Now, we have a Sunday school class made up of young families here. There are 52 in it, and I understand they have 154 children between them. They're taking seriously this charge. <laughs> Be fruitful and multiply and scatter. That was the charge. But in Genesis chapter 11, instead of scattering, they're settling. They're not dispersing, they're actually clustering together. And the writer of Genesis perceives this as an act of willful disobedience. I don't know if you've seen it or not, but Delta Airlines has come out with a new tagline, a new ad campaign, and this is the mantra, good things come to those who go. I love that. Good things come to those who go. I, I, I think that's the keynote, by the way, for the rest of Genesis. You're going to see it next week in chapter 12 in the call of Abraham where God will covenant with Abram to go, to scatter, to leave home, to leave the familiar for the unfamiliar, to leave the known for the unknown. And we begin to discover that faith in God is not about settling. It's about scattering. Of course, you see it in Matthew's gospel, Matthew 28, what we call the Great Commission, where the disciples encounter the risen Christ who just before his ascension commands them to go. Go ye into all the world and make disciples. This is not about settling. This is about scattering. Good things come to those who go. And yet, in this story, as humankind continues to migrate east of Eden, the more they migrate east, the worse it gets. You might think that somebody might have the idea to go west, and Abram will. But as they go east, they opt to settle in a place called Shinar. This is ancient Mesopotamia. It is eventually, it will become Babylonia, which you'll remember Babylon enslaved the people of Judah, and there they would settle. There they would begin to build civilization. They're building a culture there. They're building a city. Now, you might think at first that by the response of God, that God has some objection to city life. It isn't true. You still see the image of God in these builders, don't you? You see it in their ingenuity. 
You see it in their creativity, in their resourcefulness. They're baking bricks now. They're making bitumen, hydrocarbons for mortar, and they're coming of age. They're building a city. The world is their oyster. But there's a problem. It's not a problem of technology. It's not a problem of methodology. They've got all the widgets and gizmos that you can imagine. The word widget, of course, is a Hebrew word for stuff. It's equipment. They have all the tools, but they're lacking purpose. They've lost their why. You say, where do you see that? It's in verse 4. It's in their mission statement. They had a mission statement. They had a little committee together. That's how we know they were Methodists. But they had a mission statement. Come, they said, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. Here it is that we might make a name for ourselves. You see the problem? The purpose of humankind at this point is no longer God-centered. It's no longer theocentric. It is egocentric, self-centered. I can almost hear the psalmist in my ear, Psalm 127, saying, unless the Lord builds the house, they who labor do so in vain. There was a name for these towers back in the day. They called them ziggurats. Ziggurats, the ancients believed that these pyramid-shaped temples could connect heaven and earth together. In fact, there is evidence there of the remains of such a temple that was built somewhere around 14th century BCE called Edmanankia, which literally means the house, uh, house of the platform between heaven and earth. And it sounds like a noble concept, but it wasn't so much a monument to God. It was a shrine to our own self-sufficiency. I remember something Fred Smith once said about platforms. He said, our platforms often become the gallows upon which our humility is hanged. And so it is. Jim Collins, who wrote Good to Great, also wrote another book, How the Mighty Fall, in which he said, and I quote, the first step towards a culture's destruction is hubris born of success. That is pride that leads us to adopt the exact wrong definition of success to make a name for myself. They have misplaced their why. It's a little humorous to me that though this tower reaches up to the heavens, apparently in God's sight it is so inconsequential, it is so minute that God can't even see it. And so verse 5 says that God had to stoop down to get a good look at it. It was much ado about nothing. I saw a cartoon the other day of a surgeon with his mask on. He had completed his surgery, and he went to see his patient, and he said to him, you need to know that today I had to remove your ego. <laughs> ego, why? It turns out, said the surgeon, that what was clogging your reality was your ego, and so I took it out. There's another questionable motive in this tower building business. It's not that just it's self-centered, 
But you need to notice that the building of it is an open rejection to God's initial command that we might make a name for ourselves lest we be scattered across the face of the earth. So they're building a culture on hubris and fear. The underlying root of pride and rebellion in any form is always fear. They're scared. What are they afraid of? Same thing you are, same thing I am. They're afraid of anonymity. They're afraid that their lives don't mean anything. They're afraid of obscurity, of insignificance. Uh, It's interesting that anonymity often leads to acts of valor, but also to acts of shame. I've noticed now and then that when there is a killer, a serial killer on the loose, that they do not give the name because sometimes even our evil is a way of achieving prominence and infamy. They're looking for recognition. They're building a civilization without God. They are no longer trusting in God's Word. They are relying in the work of their own hands, and that's a slippery slope. They've lost their why. And in their pride and fear, they're settling. Now, as always, this is always true in the Scripture, there are always consequences, aren't there, for our disobedience. I want you to watch what happens in this story. There are consequences. Verse 7, notice the language becomes confused, and they no longer understand each other. Now, mind you, from the first part of the text, they still speak the same language. There's one language. They have the same words, the same idioms, the same vocabulary, but there's a communication gap. Because isn't it true, when speech fails us, trust goes out the window, and words don't mean what they used to mean. There's a gap. It's interesting that the Hebrew word for understand, you know what it is? Shema. Does that name ring a bell, that word? It should. That is the title of the Jewish confession of faith, the Shema. It is so called because it begins with the word hear. Listen. It's a synonym for that word understand, Shema. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, hear, O Israel, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's the Jewish confession of faith. Listen. But when human purpose dethrones God and recenters ego, the very first thing to go is our hearing. When I tune out God, when we tune out God's Word, it isn't long before we become hard of hearing in regard to our neighbor. We cannot hear the cries of our neighbor. When the why of our existence becomes egocentric or, for that matter, ethnocentric or any other centric other than theocentric, we have trouble. You remember my definition of egotism. Egotism is a drug administered by nature to deaden the pain of being a fool. But when your why becomes more about self-sufficiency and self-security than loving God and neighbor, same thing always happens. It always happens. 
Words become weapons rather than tools, and language becomes garbled and chaotic instead of creative and constructive. And the result is there is a famine of hearing. And sometimes we just stop listening. I saw a Jewish proverb the other day, no one is as deaf as the person who refuses to listen. Or worse, we only listen to our own voice. And when that happens, our syntax sounds more like psychobabble than civil discourse. And since language is culture, as goes the language, so goes the civilization. Maybe that's why Paul Tillich said, the first duty of love is to listen. Do you know how much energy it takes to listen? We live in the age of talking points. Maybe we need to develop some listening points. Our, our daughter, I shared with you recently that she will never become a park ranger um, because of her experience in the North Georgia mountains. Our, our daughter is a budding psychologist, and she's at this point in her third year of her master's degree, she's building up her clients and her internship. And so I say to you, if you need her, now is the time to get her because she's pretty cheap for the next eight months. But give her, give her another year. When she gets that master's degree, the rate is going to go up. Thank you, Jesus. The rate is going to go up and the tuition is going to go down. So I talk to her sometimes twice a week. How's it going? How's the counseling? How's all that going? And I was asking her a question the other day. I said, sweetheart, what are you learning? And she said something profound. She said, Dad, I'm learning how to listen without thinking about my response. I said, can you teach me how to do that? She's 25, and she already gets it. I don't think I, I got it until I was 40. Sherry tells me I haven't gotten it yet. I, I, I think she's right, something to work on. But when I hung up the phone, I remembered something Stephen Covey once said. Most people don't listen with the intent to understand. Most listen with the intent to reply. I'm learning to listen, she said, without response. His thoughts were slow, his words were few, and never formed to glisten, but he was a joy to all his friends. You should have heard him listen. James 1.19, the brother of Jesus, you know what he said? Be slow to anger, be slow to speak, and be quick to listen. It's the first duty of love, and it's often the most difficult duty of love. I remember when our family, when I was a kid, used to take vacations toy. Uh, my sister and I, we could pick out our tapes, and everybody got a chance to play their tape on the road as we drove along, and it was usually some southern rock or something. And, and then my, when it came my father's turn, he would put in his tape, and it was a blank tape. <laughs> he was a weird guy. He put in a blank tape 
the sound of silence without any music, it was excruciating for teenagers. Shema. Have we forgotten how to listen? Don't you remember what Paul said that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God? I remember Hannah's son. You remember Hannah in the Bible? The woman who was barren, who desperately wanted a child. And she went to church one night and she prayed and she prayed. She cried. She was so emotional that some of the people thought she had been drinking. And Eli the priest approached her and prayed with her. And sure enough, about nine months later, she had a son. She was so thankful for her boy, Samuel, that she dedicated him to the to the church, to the temple. She gave him over to the temple to sit under the tutelage of Eli the priest. And late one night, the boy Samuel heard a voice calling his name. He wasn't sure if he was imagining it or dreaming it or maybe it was a nightmare. And so he got up and went to Eli the priest and told him about it. And Eli, a wise man, sensed that God was speaking to him. And so he gave him a piece of sage advice. He said, son, the next time you hear the voice speak to you, you respond by saying, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And sure enough, in the white space of a dark night, he heard the call and he obeyed. But you have to listen. Shema. One of my favorite prayers, St. Francis, I think the chancel choir sang this not long ago, Lord, make me an instrument of thy peace. My favorite part of that prayer is the second section, O divine master, grant, listen to this, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand. There's that word, understand, hear. The Hebrew interpretation of St. Francis is this, it may be more important to listen than to be heard. One other thing. I wish we could end there almost as much as you do. <laughs> but we're not going to end there because there's one other thing. And, and I have to tell you, I'm a little disappointed in this text. I hate to end it there because there's, I don't see any grace in this text. And in all the earlier sagas, and Toy, you pointed it out last week, in all those other stories, you see grace. You, you see grace in the garden where God comes to the defense and clothes Adam and Eve. You see it in the first tattoo, the mark that he places on Cain to protect him. You see it in the flood when God gives a rainbow to Noah and sons. But where's the grace here? I mean, the whole, the whole thing just ends in confusion and scattering. What a way to go home. I took a second look. I couldn't find it. A third look. I, I could, a fifth look, and I found the grace in this story. The grace, believe it or not, is actually in the consequence of disobedience the grace is in the divine response to the tower building 
You know where you find it? It's in the scattering. What was God's initial purpose from the beginning? To be fruitful and multiply and to scatter across the earth. Scattering, I've always thought, was only punitive. It's not. It's also providential. This was God's purpose for humanity from the start. Not to settle, but to scatter. Because good things come to those who go. Now, I have no idea how God does it. And it is so far above my pay grade that God can even use my failure and our disobedience to help us wind our way back to God's purpose? That's beyond my pay grade, but God does that. One of you gave me a book recently called The Obstacle is the Way. I love that title. The Obstacle is the Way. The subtitle is this, The Timeless Art of Turning Trials into Triumph. And that's what's happening here. It happens over and over and over again in the Scriptures. What humankind intends for evil, God uses for good. It's in the scattering, the grace. God turns our settling into scattering. God turns our fear into faith. God turns our hubris into humility and our ego into evangelism because good things come to those who go. You're going to see it next week in a deceptive Abraham. You're going to see it in a laughing Sarah. You're going to see it in a cheating Jacob. And you're going to see it in a prideful Joseph. And you will even see it in the time to come in a cursed Messiah hanging on a tree because the obstacle is the way. And you don't have to build a tower to reach God. You don't have to ascend to the Father as if you could because God condescends to us supremely through Jesus and reconciles us to himself and then scatters us back into a lost, confused, misunderstanding world to reconcile our neighbor to ourself. The grace is after the benediction when we scatter. As we go forth to make a name, not for ourselves, but to make a name for God. And when you do, you will rediscover the purpose for which you were made. May it be so. In Jesus' name, amen.